Okay, turn to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Most of you can probably recite it anyway. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh my gosh, he's giving it back to me. Okay, thank you. I just want to give a big shout out to Rebecca because, you know, she does this for me, puts these onto whatever. And sometimes it's quite late on a Saturday night before my message is finalised and she still graciously says, yes, Jocelyn, send them, I'll do them for you. Thank you. Okay, so this says that we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. And some translations say holy and acceptable to God. No longer being drawn to and conformed by the values of this world. Be set apart for God to be transformed into the original masterpiece he designed us to be. But as I have said many times, this transformation is not like Cinderella going to the ball. Whoosh, and in comes the fairy godmother. Whoosh, and all the mice in the house turn into white horses. Whoosh, and the pumpkin becomes a coach. And whoosh, and all of her rags are changed to a beautiful gown. And let's not forget, whoosh, and she's got beautiful glass slippers on. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does a whoosh and things change for us. But sadly, it's not normally like that. Jesus spells out for us the cost of being a disciple. You know, sometimes we don't focus on these tough scriptures. And you know I do not shy away from bringing messages based on the hard passages. And I have to say, this morning is one of those messages. But it is not a depressing message. It's a solemn message, but also it's a freeing and an empowering one that we all need to heed if we are going to be the powerful people of God we have the potential to be. And if we are still going to be running our race, when we hit that finish line, then we need to embrace these truths. The Christian life is not a walk in the park, but actually neither is the life outside of Christianity. It's not just us that has to overcome things, it's the whole world, and at least we overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength. So would you please turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and read how Jesus describes what it costs to be a disciple. Oh my gosh, I wonder what scripture I sent to Rebecca. Sent to the right one, it's only my notes that are wrong. It's chapter 14. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them he said, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I just want to clarify that. When it says, unless you hate them, that's a very strong word, but what it really is saying here, unless we love God at a level that is so much higher than we love the people around us. In comparison, can you hear what I'm saying? It does not mean you can hate your parents. Everybody understood that? We must love God higher than we love everybody else. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with the 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, everything means everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The very challenging, I guess the word is, very challenging words of Jesus. But he doesn't pussyfoot around. He tells it, he spells out exactly what it is going to cost if we choose to follow him. Our salvation is a free gift. We don't earn it by doing these things. There is nothing, nothing, nothing we can do do to earn our salvation. God so loved, as quoted before, God so loved the world that he gave us his only son so that everyone, everyone, who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. To receive this free gift of eternal life in the presence of God, you have to believe in your heart and profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But we don't stay at the place of salvation. We then journey on into living in the fullness of this life that Christ died to give us. And sometimes the going gets a little tough and people are tempted to give up. This morning's message is to expose some of the traps and to encourage us to keep going, to continuing to continue in the offering of ourselves as living sacrifices to God. This morning I want to look at sacrifices that were acceptable to God and those that weren't. And hopefully we will all gain insight into what an acceptable to God sacrifice 
looks like. Turn with me now, please, to Genesis chapter 4, starting at 1. And Vicky is going to come and read it to us. Thank you, Vicky. Chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were out there, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Edom. The story takes place after Adam and Eve have been cast out from Eden. And it's interesting to note some of the verses here. The second part of verse 1, Eve speaking, she says, with the help of God. Verse 13, Cain speaking to God, I will be driven from your presence. God had evicted them from their home of blessing in the Garden of Eden But he had not left them, and he hasn't left any of us either. Their disobedience removed them from the blessing, but not from the love of God. Another verse that is um, worthy of further study, but there's no time for this today, is your brother's blood cries out from the ground. So much to say 
on this, but I need to be disciplined now or I will go off on a tangent and won't get on to what God has asked me to say. But I encourage you, really think on and meditate on that verse and, and ask yourself, what does it mean? Why is it written in there? And what might the ground be crying out for today? I'm already getting sidetracked. No doubt some of you, like me, have heard messages preached on why God didn't accept Cain's offering. But the Bible doesn't say, and so in truth we do not know. Because remember, this happened before God gave the instructions to Moses how to carry out the sacrifices. It could have been because Cain's attitude was begrudging or wrong. Perhaps his offering was not up to God's standard. Perhaps he didn't give of his best. Perhaps he just looked at something that wasn't quite right and said, oh, this will do, it's only a sacrifice, no one's going to eat it. We don't know, but we do well to heed Proverbs chapter 21, verse 27. The sacrifice of the wicked is detestable. How much more so when bought with evil intent. Let me tell you just a little story about someone in my family who's long dead, so I can tell you the story now. But, um, and she wasn't giving the sacrifice to God, but it's just an example. Some other rallies of ours lived out in the country and their house caught fire and they were way too far out, oh sorry Gordon, way too far out for the fire brigade to be of any use to them and their house burnt to the ground and all they had were the clo their night clothes that they had fled the house from. So this wonderful aunt of mine, um, she's around, she says, oh, she said, I'm going to give them all my old towels, she said, because that'll give me a good excuse to go and buy myself some new ones. <laughs> I know. And little six-year-old Jocelyn, who just in her innocence said, why aren't you buying them new towels? I only said what everybody else in that room was thinking, come on, come on. But, oh my gosh, I had no clue what I had said wrong, but the atmosphere told me I'd done it again, put my foot in it. And the aunt, by marriage I'm saying, no blood relation, just really doing a disclaimer here, she puts her hands on her hips, she says, well, people need to be grateful for what they're given. And I'm thinking, as I prepare this, this happened years ago, it's a long time since I was six, but this came to my mind, and I thought, what an example of what we sometimes do. We might not say, well, God has to be grateful, but are we giving our best to God's people? Are we giving our best to the church? Are we giving our best to God? Or are we settling for maybe something that's only second best? Oh, I hope she enjoyed her new towels. Oops. And I know the rally's got new ones because some of the people in that room where I opened my mouth were so disgusted they went and bought brand new ones for them. Enough of the family secrets. Oh. God evaluates both our motives and the quality of what we offer him. I'm going to repeat that. God evaluates both our motives and the quality of 
of what we offer to him. When we give to God and to others, we should have a joyful heart. We shouldn't be, oh, well, I better do this because it's expected, or, oh, gosh, I suppose. I don't really want this, so I might as well give it to them. Not that attitude, but a gift of, a heart of joy because we are able to gift it because, after all, everything we have came from God anyway. We should give to God our best in time, money, possessions and talents. Can we please stop and pray? I am really struggling to bring this message this morning as I'm sure you are all very aware. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over every disruptive, every distracting spirit and I command it to be gone from this place now in Jesus' name. And in the name of Jesus, I declare that this word will be brought forth and it will um, achieve that which God has sent it forth for. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's have a look at verse 4. Oh. it's actually verse 5 on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour so Cain was very angry and his face was downcast this is a vital truth Sorry, it's four to seven. I know you're praying for me out there. Please keep praying because I am struggling. But Abel bought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Meditate on this verse. Let the truth of it settle in your spirits until you really know it as a truth. People, if God is fingering something in your life, deal with it. For Cain to master the sin and to block the entrance to his life that the devil was looking for, he would have had to give up his jealousy and his anger. He didn't do this and the rest of his life is an example of what happens to people who refuse to change when God convicts them. And it breaks my heart how many believers I know personally will not put right the wrong they have done, either usually because of shame or pride or fear. None of those three things come from the throne of God. Do not let them ruin your life. 
We cannot master sin for ourselves. We need to turn to God, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Then we need to humble ourselves before other believers and ask them for their help to keep us on track and to pray for us. Battling sin and temptation, sadly, is something we will be doing until the day we come face to face with the Lord. So we actually need to get used to doing it because it's always going to be around. The story of Cain is pretty scary, isn't it? God rejected something that was offered to him. He rejected the sacrifice. He did not reject Cain. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? God rejected something that was offered to him. God went to Cain. He spoke to him. He revealed truth to him. He didn't go and say, oh, there, there, Cain, it's okay. Try better next time. It'll all be all right. No, he warned him of the consequences if he didn't do what was right. And when he still chose not to do what was right, he had to live with the consequences of his choices. I told you it was a solemn message this morning. But church, if we are going to stand in the days that are ahead, we need to get our heads around some of these scriptures. And in case anyone here is thinking, oh, well, that's before Calvary, our side of the cross, we are now in a season of grace, let me remind us all about Acts chapter 5. So starting at Acts chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Then we come to Acts 5, and we read in this story that this couple, Ananias and his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property but they kept back a portion of what they got for it and went and laid the rest at the apostles' feet. And Peter says to them, is this the full amount that you got for the property? I reckon he had a word of knowledge here. Yes, 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 says Ananias. Sapphira is not with Ananias at this point. Yes, said Ananias. Look at chapter 5, verses 3 to (coughs) 5. Then Peter said... Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men but to God. The sin wasn't that he didn't bring the whole amount of money. The sin was that he lied about how much money he had brought to God. So 
Ananias drops dead. They carry out his body, bury it, and a few minutes later, in comes Sapphira. Same thing. Is this the full amount of money that you got for your property? Yes, dead, body removed. Now listen up. Listen up, turn to your neighbour and say, are you listening? Pay attention. Jocelyn is about to say something very important. (laughs) I believe the Lord has had me bring this message this morning and I believe there has been so much obstruction to it this morning because he is not up in heaven pointing his finger down saying, look you lot, will you get your act together? He's not doing that but in his love he is warning us to keep our eyes on him do what's right because the enemy is crouching at our door tempting us to miss the mark and give him an entrance into our life and into the life of this church through us the enemy is crouching at the door Church, and we need to be awake and alert that we do not give in to his temptations and so miss out on all that God has for us. You know how we have had to battle the divisive spirit recently, and it's very obvious it is still hanging around looking for a way back into us, and he will bring his friends if we allow him to do that. If you recognise yourself in Cain, Ananias or Sapphira this morning, then thank God for it. Ask for his forgiveness and do whatever else he says. It's not a big deal. It's only a big deal if you ignore the prompting and the conviction of God and don't act on it. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Getting to some good news. One to eight. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure." And then listen to these amazing words, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, 
but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is in prison and his life is nearing its end and he is able to honestly make this statement. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Powerful. Because when you read through the New Testament and see what Paul had to endure, the sacrifices Paul had to make, how amazing, how wonderful that at the end of his life he was able to say these words, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Most of us are okay with keeping the faith, well, at least to a degree. Some of us are pretty clued up on fighting the good fight, but watch that you don't get so caught up in what the enemy is doing, you lose sight of what God is doing. And only some of us are intently focused, ignoring the distractions and the inconveniences, so we finish the race that God has set out before us. It's not our own race plan, but the one that God has planned for us keeping in our own lane, eyes on the finish line and the glory that awaits us at the end. And what what for that? You know, when you read Paul's life and when we are confronted with these scriptures, it makes you wonder really what we sometimes are not prepared to give up. Our comfort. Oh, it's too cold, I'm not going out. Oh, it's raining, I'm just going to cancel this. Uh, I don't want to say that because they might react. You know, when you really think about some of the things that we stop from doing what God has called us to do, it's very scary. You know, we come and we have this enthusiasm for something, for the kingdom, and we start it and we're doing great, and then we hit a stumbling block, and instead of using it as a stepping stone, it's like, oh, we get all discouraged, and this isn't working, and uh-uh-uh. So this goes on the back burner, and we turn around, and we look for the next exciting great thing to get involved with. We must keep our eye on the finish. We must be fighters finishers and faithful people. If we are going to live a life of impact, we must embrace all three of these. And to do this, take sacrifice. Sacrifice of our own desires, sacrifice of our time and resources, and often the sacrifice of others' good opinion of us. It is a huge act of perseverance and constantly relying on the empowering of the Holy Spirit because if we are not relying on the empowering of the Holy Spirit and doing these things in our own strength, we are never going to do them. But praise God, we have the Holy Spirit flowing through us, living in us, surrounding us, just meeting our every need 
that we could possibly need to run this race. God has created us. God has designed us to run the race. He has built into each and every one of our DNA all we need for the race that he has called us to. It's when we get out of our lane and start running in other people's lanes that we fall short. We have to stay in our lane. This is what God has called me to do. Sometimes you have to sort of get alongside someone else and encourage them on their race, but you don't run someone else's race. You run your own race to the finish line. It takes incredible endurance to finish and not everyone does. But listen, it's not just the Christian walk that takes endurance. Japheth, Jacob, I bet it's taken you a lot of endurance and a sacrifice of time to learn the keyboard and play it like you do. Well, good on you. To learn to dance, it takes sacrifice, it takes pain, it takes endurance. Oh, praise God for that because my daughter decided she wanted to be a ballet dancer when she was five. And I am not a ballet dancer's mother. You can tell that, I'm sure. So off we go, thinking, okay, I can do anything. So off we go. First week, she learns to skip pointing her toes. Second week, she learns to skip pointing her toes. Third week, she learns to skip pointing her toes. She says, I don't like this. When am I going to dance? <laughs> said, well, honey, you've got to stick out a term because that's the rules of anything you take on. She thought by week three she'd be dancing up on her toes. She didn't have the endurance. Praise God. That's one thing I did not insist they continued with. But it does, it takes endurance. You've got to learn how to skip and point your toes if you're ever going to get up on those toes and dance with the New Zealand Ballet Company. Not everyone lasts the distance. They never know the joy that was ahead of them because they ceased the piano practice. They ceased the skipping and pointing their toes. So to achieve anything in life takes sacrifice. But to achieve all you can be in Christ is the thing that is most worthy of our sacrifice. When things get tough, when things aren't working out the way we thought they would, when we become discouraged and disillusioned, it's too easy to give up and either settle back and say, oh, I've done my bit, or this isn't working, and then go on to something else. My prayer is, that this message is a revelation and an encouragement and a reminder to all of us this morning not to give up, to keep pushing in for all that God has for us, to stay at our post no matter how hard the going gets. Do not let fear, doubt, disappointment, distraction, disillusions and discouragement dictate our stopping point to us. Church, none of us want to be give-up people, I'm sure. Anyone here want to be a give-up person? Don't put your hand up and embarrass yourself. Come and talk to me afterwards. We don't. We all want to achieve what we've been created to achieve. If you sin, repent and get back up again. If you are discouraged, 
discouraged. Boot discouragement off your life. It does not come from God. It comes from the pit of hell. And go to someone and say, I'm really discouraged. Will you pray for me, please? If you are disappointed by God, ask him to show you his perspective on what has happened. You don't need to tell me how heartbreaking some of these things are. I know my own pain, but nevertheless, God is still good. He still loves me and he still has a good plan for my life and he has proved that to me many, many, many times over. When I push through, when I persevere, when I see his purpose and my life continues on at a deeper level with him, But you can't go to the deeper level if you stop and don't push through whatever it is that is in front of you that is blocking your walk with the Lord. Get some counselling from from a Christian counsellor if that's what you need. Do what it takes, but don't give up because that is what the enemy wants you to do. Look at Paul's life and be encouraged. He could do it and so can we. Not in our own strength, but in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. He was just an ordinary man who believed God and became an extraordinary man. And that is what God wants for us, except us ladies. He wants us to be extraordinary women, just clarifying. Paul faced many difficulties, but at the end he was able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Remember, we have the Holy Spirit to help, we have other believers to come alongside and cheer us on, and we have God's amazing promises throughout the Bible. Turn with me to Isaiah 40. Now, I have deliberately not been using the clicker to get there, Can you pull up that Isaiah 40? Thank you, if you would do that for me. Again, well-known scripture, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? Wow. The Lord is the everlasting God. He was the creator, he is the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Next slide, thanks Rebecca. So this great mighty God whose understanding we cannot fathom, this is his promise to us. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. This is what God does for us. Thanks, Rebecca. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, this is the promise, church, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amazing promises 
from God throughout the whole Bible. But even if this was the only promise, that is enough to keep us running. So church, therefore I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing and acceptable to God. Why? We see it in Revelation 2, 7 and 8. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow. Keep pushing on. Keep finishing. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep believing in faith. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you care for us so much that you came here into our presence to warn us of the pitfalls, traps and dangers the enemy has planned for us. Thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to help and guide us so that these traps are exposed and we know to be alert and watch out for them. Thank you that you are there in both the easy and the hard times, never leaving us, never giving up on us, always available, always protecting. We are so, so grateful to you, Lord God. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for persevering with me and this message this morning. God is so good and his word is truth. And his word goes forth.